score drops. A 93.66, and Danny Davis has done it, defending his gold on the final run. Of- You've kind of just got to find some common ground, really, with them. They're not looking to make a sweet pow turn, and we're not going to talk about climbing Denali or X Games and get really deep with them on stuff like that. But we can all connect on, you know, our planet is just so sacred, and it's something that we really got to protect. All of uh, the athletes um, on, on my team were so incredibly passionate about this and so incredibly well-versed um, in, in, in what are the climate issues that we're facing and what are the bills and what are the things that we're, that we're really advocating for. But, but then when you bring in someone like New Belgium, you also get uh, a business aspect and how business is being impacted by climate change. There aren't many sporting events taking place in the midst of a global pandemic but athletes and the brands that support them aren't sitting idle. On this episode, we speak to a professional snowboarder and the CEO of New Belgium Brewing about why they're advocating for climate action and lobbying Congress to pass a bolder set of environmental protections. Welcome to Political Climate, a bipartisan podcast on energy and environmental issues in America and around the world, presented by the USC Schwarzenegger Institute. I'm your host, Julia Piper, a contributing editor at Green Tech Media and a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. Sports are known for bringing people together. Okay, yes, there can be some incredibly fierce team rivalries, but more broadly, sports create a sense of identity, even in segmented societies. There's widespread appreciation for the craft, and professional athletes become heroes to their fans and broader communities. Plus, sports are just fun. Sports are also political. There's evidence they've always been political, but these days, athletes, teams, and entire sporting organizations are choosing to get off the sidelines and take a more active role in public policy. Companies that sponsor athletics are also increasingly getting in on the game. In mid-June, Protect Our Winters, a nonprofit giving a national voice to the outdoor sports community on climate issues, spent a week meeting virtually with members of Congress. The aim is to promote a policy platform that expands clean energy, promotes vehicle electrification, and keeps fossil fuel extraction off the public lands that the outdoor community loves. Protect Our Winters, or POW, was founded in 2007 by professional snowboarder Jeremy Jones and has grown into a worldwide network of more than 130,000 supporters focused on advancing nonpartisan policies that protect the planet today and for future generations. Professional snowboarder and two-time X Games gold medalist Danny Davis was among the participants in POW's Advocacy Week. Now, if you don't know Danny, I highly recommend looking up some of his competition videos. He's insanely talented and fearless, and you're going to go into a rabbit hole watching all of the content. But you've probably reached the end of Netflix by now, so enjoy. Steve Fetchheimer is the CEO of New Belgium Brewing, and he also took part in the POW Advocacy Week. New Belgium became the country's first brewery to purchase 100% of its electricity from wind power back in 1999. The craft beer company continues to make investments in solar and energy efficiency and is a participant in the Fort Collins Zero Energy District Smart Grid project. New Belgium also tracks its water, energy, waste, and greenhouse gas emissions metrics with a mission to cut its direct and indirect emissions by 50% on a long-term path to achieving carbon neutrality. On this show, we speak to Danny and Steve about why they decided to be more outspoken on climate policy. 
We talk about leadership and corporate responsibility and about how sports and beer are intertwined with the biggest issues of our time. My Democrat and Republican co-hosts and avowed sports fans, Brandon Hurlbut and Shane Skelton, also took part in this interview, which took place a little earlier this month. While you're listening, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. It really helps this podcast grow. Okay, with that, on with the show. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the line. We have Danny Davis, a pro snowboarder, as well as Steve Fetchheimer, who is the CEO of New Belgium Brewing. And we're excited to have both of you on the show today because Brandon and Shane, my Democrat Republican co-hosts, always talk about how the one thing that brings them together is sports. And no matter what we're talking about, it can get fierce discussing climate and energy policy, but they always come back to enjoying sports. And it's the one thing that well, I sports and beer, Julia. So this is actually a perfect fit <laughs> and beer. Exactly. It started with us drinking all drinking beer. <laughs> That's together. how we knew it could work. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and there's been no sports lately. So I don't know, Brandon and Shane, you guys must be going a little crazy over there. Yeah, not good for the wives. <laughs> no, though I've, I've become like a, a video game addict again. I feel like I'm 15, but FIFA has is, is become really exciting. So Brandon, I'm going to be a better soccer fan come next year. <laughs> I'm, I'm playing a lot of FIFA with my son as well. So we, sh- we should challenge you guys to a game after this. We absolutely should. I always play with my son and I'm not sure if it's because it's a lot of fun or if it's because it doesn't, you know, I don't feel as guilty for playing video games in the middle of the day. <laughs> And there's definitely a guilt aspect. I feel I feel great. It's it's great father son time. Well, that voice you heard just there to our audience was Steve at New Belgium Brewing. Danny, how are you doing? Where are you calling in from today? I am calling in from Burlington, Vermont. I'm doing great. We got some sunshine, um, which is a kind of hard to find sometimes here in Vermont. <laughs> Fair so enough. All is good. And so, Danny, let's start with you, because I know that the Protect Our Winters organization just wrapped up a jam-packed week of advocacy, doing some video calls, a lot of video calls with members of Congress. Can you just take a second to set this up? What did you guys work on this week? What is POW? Give us the 101. All right. Well, you know, you know, due to the pandemic, obviously, uh, we're not traveling, and, and I think POW really was having a hard time, like, should we cancel all our lobbying? Like, what do we do here? And so being the thinkers they are, they set it all up via video conference. And, you know, that took a little bit of the personal side. You know, you're not face-to-face with these people, but you are through a a screen. So it's a little bit better than just calling in. You get a little bit more uh, of a vibe there. There was, uh, we met with 32 lawmakers, half Republican, half Democrat, it was mostly positive conversations. We were addressing a couple bills in on the Hill and, and bringing it to these people. So it was, it was great to kind of jump back into lobbying via the computer and not letting travel and all that just stop us from advocating. And what were the issues that you're advocating for? What would be like the key pieces of the platform? So one uh, that we talked with, and I was kind of on the Midwest team. I'm from Michigan originally. I'm from the uh, southeastern part of Michigan, just about an hour north of Detroit. And so I was in the Midwest crew. We were um, focusing on the Renewable Energy Extension Act, the Drive America Forward Act, and then also um, another one, uh, the American Public Lands and Waters Climate Solution Act, and really just... I mean, I am new to this. I've I've lobbied in DC 
before about seven, seven years ago was my first time doing it. The government shut down. So this was a very, very different uh, conversation, you know, over the internet, that's for sure. And very different from what you do every day, having looked at your Instagrams of you like jumping off of mountains on your snowboard, making crazy moves. Um, So kudos to you for doing it all. (laughs) Thanks. Danny, this is Shane. I'm really curious about sort of how the advocacy went. I don't know many, if any, honestly, conservatives that aren't outdoor enthusiasts. And then, you know, you think about some of the states where where a lot of the the fun occurs in Idaho and and Utah, um, you know, particularly red states. But do you get a sense that when you talk about climate and clean energy with some of these lawmakers from those red states, through your worldview, through your lens of, of being someone who enjoys the outdoors, does that help sort of disarm some of the, you know, I guess, animosity that some more conservative lawmakers have felt towards uh, a climate agenda? Yeah. And I think too, you know, we had another um, professional skier on my group, Mike King, who runs a uh, cherry orchard up in Northern Michigan. And, you know, you just got to find these things that you can talk to these people about whether it's hunting and fishing, you know, that's not really my thing, but that's an outdoor thing. Farming is a huge business. Ag is massive um, all over the Midwest. And, you know, so you kind of just got to find some common ground really with them. They're not looking to make a sweet pow turn and we're not going to talk about climbing Denali or X games and get really deep with them on stuff like that. But we can all connect on, there's so you know our planet is just so sacred and it's something that we really got to protect and i i think you can kind of find something that they're excited about um outside no matter what yeah steve i want to go to you to hear how new belgium's taking part in this um are you working directly with pow and if so in what capacity yeah we we do work directly uh with pow um we're one of their partner brands through this and so I think what what Protect Our Winners is is doing so well um, through some of this advocacy work, and uh, I was on a different team than Danny earlier this week, but uh, took part in a lot of the, the lobbying efforts as well. Is is bringing together different voices uh, and and people like Danny and the athletes. I think uh, almost disarm the conversation a little bit because there are some really cool different topics that uh, you know our representatives get to talk about when they're part of the conversation. And all of the, the athletes um, on, on my team were so incredibly passionate about this and so incredibly well-versed um, in, in, in what are the climate issues that we're facing and what are the bills and what are the things that we're, that we're really advocating for. But, but then when you bring in someone like New Belgium, you also get a, a business aspect and, and how business is being impacted by climate change. And, and I think it's helpful to be able to bring different groups to the table uh, and find some common ground around potential climate action that can be helpful to really drive change because of, because of how relevant it is across all kinds of different demographics, businesses, people, and, and needs around the country and around the world. Steve, I'm, I'm glad you raised the business aspect because um, I'm a beer enthusiast as much as an outdoor enthusiast. And uh, unfortunately for me, uh, my better judgment doesn't usually win out when I'm a beer enthusiast in high altitude. <laughs> so I don't know if I can <laughs> if I can mix these two things. But but a more a more serious business question is obviously protecting the climate is important. But I imagine that um, New Belgium spends a lot of time figuring out where to source hops and and sort of other uh, components that you need to make the best the, the great beer that you make. 
Do you think about, you know, climate impacts and how different regions might become more attractive uh, for procuring commodities and stuff like that? Or is that far enough off into the future that you've kind of got your supply chain set? No, it's an it's an everyday challenge for us. We are we do see in our supply chain, right? So if if you want to think about real business impacts to New Belgium uh, from climate change, a lot of it is in the supply chain, and it is in things like access to hops, right, or or access to citrus fruits, right, for for certain of our beers. And the growing regions for a lot of those products are changing. Uh, a lot of our hops come from sort of the the pack northwest. And even then, some of those growing ranges are moving up into Canada. And we're and so we're trying to think about how do we secure access to the inputs that we need in our supply chain over the long term so that we can continue to make those, you know, continue to make the great beers that we make today. But it's expensive to do that and it's time consuming to do that. And then there's a lot of businesses that supply us that get hurt along the way because they have a you know a crop that's destroyed from from storms or weather or other impacts of climate change. And so it's, it is really disrupting the entire supply chain economy that, that serves the beer industry right now. Hey, it's Brandon. I have a question about whether your political affiliation influences what beer you drink. I think there's a narrative out there that Republicans like Budweiser and it's like more American uh, and Democrats and liberals tend to drink um, you know, craft beers. It's like a Portland, Oregon. Uh, thing. Uh, is that true? Does your political affiliation influence what beer you drink? I don't think the, I don't think the narrative actually plays out when you, when you look at real consumer behavior. Uh, craft beers, depending on, on how you want to think about it, is probably 20% of the beer industry today. Uh, we're successful as New Belgium and the craft industry is hugely successful in all 50 states. Uh, there's 8,000 craft breweries around the country today. Um, and they're thriving in really every community um, that you can possibly go into. And so I think uh, there are people who love, who love beer and you know, look, there's some people who, who love a, a Coors Light or, or a Budweiser and, and um, that's, that's what they want to drink and, and that's what they find enjoyable. And there's people who want, um, you know, more flavorful uh, craft beer and, and that's what they enjoy and they love being part of that industry. But we, we don't find those differentiations, you know, based on, voting record or political affiliation. Um, it's really about, you know, what people want to drink and what they find enjoyable. Beer, bringing people together. Uh, Danny, I want Try. to... Danny, I wanted to ask you, you know, you mentioned you were relatively new to the advocacy space and we should note, you know, you have been at the top of X game podiums. You've been one of the ranked, one of the top snowboarders in the world. So clearly you're dedicated to your craft and must spend a lot of time doing that. I'm wondering what it was like to then, you know, start integrating this advocacy work. Did it feel like you had to take a role and use your platform? What was the thing that sort of made you think, okay, I have to sort of step up here and be on my day job and and take a different kind of role. Gosh, it was it was seems like it was long ago. You know, it was eight or eight or nine years ago when I first started getting involved with POW and it wasn't a duty thing at all. It was my agent at the time being like, hey, this is, you know, something cool. Jeremy Jones lived a couple of doors down from me on my street in 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 uh, Tahoe. And so I knew Jer and I knew about Protect Our Winners. And really it was just like, hey, this is something that, you know, you can get behind and, and use your your voice to uh, really at that time, it was more just 
to get people to be involved in the political process that were my age, I thought that that was interesting to me. Um, you know, that we, we have this chance to vote and a lot of my friends didn't see the, they didn't vote and they just did. So I just wanted to learn more and be able to get involved in that. And POW really makes it so easy to take it, you know, a kid who was, I think I was 20 or so at the time, 21 maybe. And, really just give me the tools to take it as far as I want. And then the support from Jer. And then, you know, now it's, it's, it's athletes, it's scientists, it's, um, you know, there's all creatives, all kinds of business leaders, people like Steve. Um, and then Burton too was them getting involved. It just, it was, you know, Donna would put a little pressure on me. Hey, you're going to come to Capitol Hill, you know, and, and, and so it, it kind of happened naturally. And then I don't know if it's just as you get older, you start to care more or listen more to the news and politics and things. But um, I, I don't know if that's just an age thing. But now that I'm 31, I, I listen to it. I care about it. I'm interested. Um, so it's, it's become something that's just on my mind, too, every day. And you mentioned Jeremy Jones, just to note, he is a former pro snowboarder and the founder of Protect Our Winters. So I have a question for, for on that note for, for Danny and Steve, both actually thinking about an individual as a brand in sports competition and obviously a company as a brand in, in every possible way. Um, until pretty recently, in my view, it was never considered wise for a brand to take a stand on any politically charged issue because 100% of the population being a potential customer is a better um, situation than, than less than that. And we've all seen that dramatically change in recent years with, um, with socially responsible investing. But I would say in recent weeks uh, with a lot that's going on and what did it take or when did it happen that you all decided that standing up for climate, something you cared about, uh, was important enough that it was a good move rather than thinking about sort of the, the numbers game of, of shrinking, you know, potential market if there were individuals who didn't like that stance? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I can speak on it on behalf of just snowboarding. I know Steve's world is, is a bit more in the, in the space of, of beer, but selfishly for, for a snowboarder, when we have bad winters, when they don't sell product, when they don't sell snowboards, when the snow just isn't arriving, our job is is less use. You know, they don't need us as much. You know, they don't need professional snowboarders to. They're not just. They're not having the marketing dollars to pay snowboarders to represent their brand. So, a little bit worried about my own situation. You know, that's a tough thing. But on the greater scale, I think Burton looks that. If we don't have winter, if winter continues to uh, get smaller and smaller and more and the weather patterns are more erratic and things are happening out of whack, it's bad for their business. Um, so it's it's sort of, you know, when you got to stand up for not only what's right, but I think people are looking at the business side of it, too. Yeah, I think from New Belgium's perspective, we, we've already touched on one of the main points, right, that, that climate change is impacting our business. and. When we look forward, um, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, the reality is as it's harder to get hops, as it's harder to get barley, as it's harder to get citrus, small and medium-sized businesses are going to lose, right? ABI, Molson Coors, they're going to get first crack at whatever's available in the supply chain. And it's going to have a huge impact on our business to the point where I think you're going to see a lot of smaller, medium-sized craft breweries forced to go out of business because it's going to be too expensive to, to operate. 
um, and too too expensive to, to get our product. And so there's a real business imperative more than anything. Forget forget if people like New Belgium or don't like New Belgium for saying that. I, I, there's a lot of me that says, well, well, driving this change is the only way we're actually going to stay in business. But I think if you if you kind of add on to that a little bit more broadly, and you think about um, both our coworkers uh, here at New Belgium and then the, our consumers, right? Um, starting internally, it's, it is in our DNA. Um, when when Kim Jordan and, and her then husband Jeff started New Belgium back in 1991, before they even brewed their first beer, they went away and they said, you know, what are going to be some of the, the core values that we operate our company under? And they only had four of them at the time. And one of them was around environmental sustainability. And so this is something that's been in New Belgium's DNA for 30 years at this point. And in 1999, our employees voted actually to forego a portion of their profit sharing for the year um, so that we can become the first wind power brewery in the US. And that was a really pivotal moment where, where we took something that was really important to our founders, but then realized as a company that it was really important to all of our coworkers. Um, and, and really, I think, set us on a path to, to continue to undertake all kinds of environmental initiatives going forward. And something that when, when we poll our own workers, um, that they're really proud of um, as, as a reason to work for New Belgium. And then, and then lastly, like it is now what our customers expect from us. And we have to be willing to stand up for what we think is important. We have to be willing to say that. And, you know, I, um, my, my old boss used to say this a lot. Um, and, and I've said a few times at New Belgium, but your, your, your morals aren't your morals unless you're willing to let them cost you some money. And so we're going to get out and say what we think is is right. Um, and we're going to advocate for those things. And there's going to be some haters. Um, go 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 into our Facebook page when we post something about advocating with POW. And there's going to definitely be some haters in the comments. But we're doing what we think is right. And we do think um, you know consumers and, and, and customers really respect us for that. You know, you sort of just touched on it there. But how hard of a decision is it to keep, you know, pushing for issues and on causes that you care about as a company and your employees care about amid this hyper-politicized moment. How are brands navigating that? Are you having like meetings as various brands together to figure out what to do here? Because I know that there seems to be more pressure than ever for, for brands to take a more active role. I think there's definitely there's there's definitely pressure for for companies to lead here. There there hasn't been a lot of leadership from a federal standpoint on climate change um, in the last decade. And states are taking a leadership role, but it's also really important, I think, for, for companies to be taking a leadership role. I think we have a lot of credibility in taking a leadership role because it does impact our businesses, as, as we've talked about. Um, and it is something that's important to a, a large portion of our, our consumers and our customers. And so, um, if, if we're not going to do it, I'm not sure you know who is going to take that leadership role right now, and we're we're happy to uh, sort of step into that void and partner with people like POW um, and and advocate for the change that we think we that we think we need. Hey, this is Brandon again. A couple of fun questions for you guys. Uh, do you have any politicians that you admire, uh, Danny? Any skiers uh, that you think are totally awesome? And what beers are you guys drinking other than your own? You know, I, 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 I was a fan of, of uh, some of the previous um, leadership in this country. You know, Obama thought was was great. And we talked to actually someone yesterday. Uh, I believe it was Caston. Uh, yeah, Sean Caston, Illinois. Maybe. 
Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. It was a great conversation. I mean, when I went to Capitol Hill seven years ago, a lot of these things we were talking about weren't even they were so partisan. And, and, and now a lot of this stuff is by, it's like people, this conversation is actually a conversation now about climate. And that's, that's so great to see. So that was, that, that was great chat with him. I liked, I liked what he was about and um, yeah, skiers, snowboarders, we, we, we all hang, hang together. And, you know, I've been working with new Belgium here and there and, and drinking their beer for a, a, quite a few years now. And, but we, you know, we, you got to get different flavors here and there. I'm sure Steve can attest to to that. Trying other ones is how you make your brand better. <laughs> <laughs> Doing the good work. <laughs> Steve, is there a standout meeting for you this week with a lawmaker? Um, you know, I, I've been really impressed with Senator Bennett here in Colorado uh, and all the efforts he's undertaking around climate change. And we've been, uh, I think, a good partner with him on, on advocating for certain things. But just incredibly well-versed in the issues. And I also think from uh, one of the, I've actually been fortunate enough to do two lobbying days here in, in the last month. We did one um, with another uh, partner group. We have uh, series and, and BICEP and we did a lead on climate day and was fortunate enough actually to talk with my home state Senator, also Danny's home state Senator. Um, I, I grew up in Michigan as well, um, but Senator Stabenow of Michigan also seems to be really progressive in her thinking about this. and. You know, I got from both of them a, a real sense of confidence that there are plans in place and there are ways that we're going to be able to take this forward. And, and clearly right now, there's not the, the political will um, to do that. But I think the plans are really forming in a way that, that when we do get to the political will, there's there's going to be um, an ability to move pretty quickly and put some, put some legislation um, and put some policies in place that will get us at least moving back in the right direction. There's a lot to do to get from here to where we think we need to be to, to avoid the catastrophic impacts of climate change. But I think those, I think those plans are forming. I think both of those two senators will play really important roles in, in moving it forward. Yeah. And Shane are Republicans getting the Republicans on board. So he's taking care of that bit, right, Shane? Well, I, I was just going to say, what's really interesting to me um, is that, you know, all the names floated were Democrats. And that makes sense because Democrats have traditionally been the ones supporting the issues that we're talking about. What I find kind of mind blowing is that uh, just like every Friday, uh, a little bit later this afternoon, I'm going to ride my bike about 10 miles to a local brewery that I love. I'm going to have lunch there with a couple friends, drink some beer and ride home. And that's what people do. It's called Petals and Pints. And what's so strange to me is that these are outdoor enthusiasts, people who want to exercise rather than drive to lunch, people who want to drink craft beer. And I'm going to guess, I don't talk politics that much with them, but I'm going to guess they're mostly all conservative. And so it's hard for me to understand why the community that I associate with, the people who share my values and my interests are not at all represented at the, in the federal legislature in Congress, I can't think of a single, I, I like a lot of the Republicans in office, but I can't think of a, think of a single one that I would say he'll take this issue to the mat for me right now. Um, and that's unfortunate. So I hope we, we see some change over time as some of the lawmakers and, and the electorate catches up to, you know, what a lot of us are doing and, and what a lot of corporations, frankly, like, um, like yours are doing, Steve. Yeah. And I think there's a little bit of a change coming and, you know, we, we certainly did, uh, meet with Republicans in, in both of our, our our lobbying days, and you know more often it was it was maybe staffers than the representatives themselves. But there is there are some bipartisan um, climate coalitions that are forming in D.C. right now, and I think there's also uh, a a real 
recognition that there's a huge opportunity here um, for the ag sector to play a really big role in the climate solution. Um, both, you know, a, a lot of that's from a from a carbon sequestration opportunity, but there there are real economics out there um, for for the ag community, which I think is is causing uh, certain representatives to get different pressures from their constituencies um, in, in terms of trying to move some of this forward. And then a lot of those same ag issues we talk about in our supply chain are, um, you know, impacting, again, more small and medium-sized farmers, but are having, you know, real impacts on people. And so I think that's, that's changing the dynamics of the conversation. I should just want to jump in and say, actually, in recent uh, days, there was a bill introduced by Senators Braun, Stabenow, as well as Lindsey Lindsey Graham, a Republican, and Senator Whitehouse on agriculture and climate. I think it was all around what you just mentioned, Steve, about enabling farmers to participate in carbon markets. So amid everything else going on today, we saw some action on this uh, in this climate agriculture area on a bipartisan basis. So we're also seeing Julia this week, the, um, the public lands bill that'll permanently reauthorize the land and water conservation fund led by two Republicans. So there are good things Republicans are doing. And of course, being one, I didn't mean to imply otherwise. I just, I just hope that there's a time where we all sort of express a shared interest in addressing these issues, not as can I find two Republicans, but this is just what we do as Americans. I have a kind of tougher question, but I feel like it's 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 very timely. As as we all know, there's been a series of protests all across the country over Black Lives Matter and combating racial injustices. And so I'm curious how you all are thinking about this and connecting the dots between equity issues and climate issues and then like the brands and the sports that you work in. It's been documented that there's unequal access to national parks, say. So how are you integrating these issues from your perspective? Danny, I'd love to hear from you first. Um, I saw you just shared on Instagram recently a post by Tommy Caldwell, a famous rock climber, uh, who spoke about this issue and spoke about going beyond environmentalism to talk about equity as well. So how are you thinking about this? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the areas that we're advocating and not only as a outdoors enthusiast group, but, you know, a lot, this affects everyone. And maybe even in some of those minority communities, the, the effects of climate change are hit e- even harder there, too. Um, and, you know, snowboarding, yes, it's not uh, the most, you know, we are predominantly probably white sport and, and it's, it's challenging and opening up, um, places for people to come in and access the sport easily. You know, Burton started the chill foundation. I don't know how, how many years ago, but Burton snowboards, the company I ride for is taking inner city kids, getting them in snowboarding and, and, you know, more things like that, really supporting, um, some of these minorities to, get involved with our sport and give them an opportunity, bring them out there, get them out and uh, to enjoy it, I think is, is really a big part of that. But it's a, it's more of a call to advocate, I believe, um, you know, in general, um, you know, don't, don't stop just because uh, we want to talk about something different than climate, but let's advocate all around the board for stuff that we see needs attention. Yeah, I would just just add from from my perspective that it's it's important to remember that a lot of the impacts of climate change and a lot of the impacts of poor environmental legislation um, disproportionately impact people of 
color um, and you know other less well-off communities right across the country. And so in terms of, of pushing for broader equality, broader racial equality, environmental legislation and, and um, climate change uh, legislation is going to be really important um, in, in getting to a more equitable future than we have today. And I also think the, the real sea change we're seeing in, in views on uh, systemic racism, racism in the United States and the importance of the Black Lives Matters movement also carries some relevancy um, to, to what we're trying to do with climate change and that it's not enough just to do what you think is right, but you also have to be willing to speak out about it um, and advocate for, for the change that you need. Um, and as we've talked about, New Belgium's always been willing to say what we believe is right. Um, and it probably does cost us some money and it probably does cost us some fans from, from you know, our prior conversations. But um, this is something that, that we're gonna continue to need to do. And uh, in talking with Senator Bennett earlier this week, as part of the, the POW conversations, right? He, he reminded us that weeks ago, it would have been impossible to, to think about getting meaningful legislation passed around police reform. And we've seen that in places like the Colorado State Legislature just earlier this week. And so when we can make you know, important movements on uh, topics like that, and we can do so quickly, um, as, as we've shown in the last couple of weeks, we think that you know maybe that bodes well as well for, for climate change legislation as we go forward, as people really continue to appreciate the full impact of, of what this is going to mean um, you know, for our country and, and our world. This is Brandon again. I wanted to test an analogy that I, I make uh, often uh, with you guys. I always say that there's a brand uh, affiliation that develops when you're young. Uh, for instance, when I was young a while ago, uh, Miller Lite and Budweiser would both come to my campus. This is before we had fancy uh, craft beers like yours. Uh, and they would you know, fight over us, give us free beer because uh, the theory was that you would develop a brand affiliation when you were young that you would carry through the rest of your life. So I started drinking more Miller Lite and I kept drinking Miller Lite for a, a long time uh, for no other <laughs> really good reason other than I was drinking it when I was young. Uh, is the same analogy applied, do you think, to politics where people develop a brand, uh, whether Republican or Democrat, uh, when they're young and then carry that forward uh, through the rest of their life? Yeah, it's interesting. So before I worked in beer, I worked in spirits. Um, I, I worked for uh, Beam Centauri, uh, which is a, a, a large spirits company. And there's a, there is a lot of consumer data that, that would suggest that's that's true in sort of the uh, elk bed industry more broadly, right? That, that you tend to develop some of those brand affinities uh, when you're younger. I think there's actually stronger data that says you tend to support category. Um, uh, you, you tend to get category affinities more. So if you're a whiskey fan, you tend to drink a lot more whiskey, right? Um, throughout your life, if you're a beer fan, you tend to drink a lot more beer. But what the what the data also suggests is that brand affinity amongst younger consumers is is really dropping, um, and it's it's harder and harder to create you know brand loyalty uh, given the in, in any category just given the amount of just given the amount of brands and options that people have on the shelves today in politics um, and in terms of sort of political party affiliations, I, I you know I don't know um, I don't know how much that changes in 
people as they grow older versus how much of that, you know, maybe comes from, um, you know, the family you were raised in and, and, and your parents' uh, political beliefs. You guys are more of the experts on that than I am. All I can say is I've really gotten into sours lately, so I don't know what that says about me, <laughs> my political beliefs. I guess, Danny, going to you to, to wrap things up here, I wonder if you can end on like a, a, I don't know, a story where you felt like you were making an impact or where maybe you connected the dots on climate as well as just doing what you do best. I don't know. Do you have any anecdotes you can share with us? We are talking, we should know, in the middle of almost summer here. So um, anything you can do to sort of key up the uh, the winter season, get people excited about it? Yeah, I mean... I've been wondering how this next winter looks like, you know, we travel, uh, this is the longest I've been in one place in 15 years, it seems like, um, certainly 10 years, if not longer. Um, but, you know, to, to, to speak to on and just give a little uh, light to what we were just talking about, you know, people being drawing that, um, looking to their brands for a little bit of leadership, looking to, um, to, to show them where to go and that loyalty. I think a lot of that does exist. And I think in the world of politics, you know, you saw um, how the youth or at least the younger age group of voters is really, they really tie to somebody that they can get behind. It's not necessarily policy so much that they're looking for. It's more that personal connection with that candidate. And I think, it's no different for brands. It's maybe not that they're always using that brand's products, but you know, when, when Burton or Patagonia or somebody puts out something um, on how they feel about something, people get behind that and they respect that brand. And now they follow that brand and look to them for leadership for what that consumer should be doing. So I think what I'll say is that I'm having more conversations with people younger than me and my age about just issues. Uh, and, and that's, and that's great. You know, I see the youth kind of talking about it more, whether it's social media or just a conversation I'm having with my friends. I think I really would like to in, in tell the younger voters, you know, talk about stuff, talk about it with your friends and get inspired by your friends, get inspired by the brands you follow and brands speak out, tell your consumer how to how to advocate and 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 policies to get behind because um, you know we're trying to uh, save the planet. We're trying to get rid of uh, racial inequality. Like there's all these 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 things that are human that, that you just naturally care about and uh, talk about them and 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 get people to address these issues, whether they're your friends or it's a brand you're following or, you know, these brands are, are leading some of these younger voters. And um, I think that's all there. You know, that's all a very real thing. I, I'm guilty of it too, looking up to brands and looking to them for some leadership. So, and, and athletes, people like myself, I'm, I'm looking at, like you said, Tommy Caldwell, I think he's a great, I like what he has to say. And, um, you know, there's a lot of it out there. So, it's something that's happening, you know, as far as the story of getting excited for winter, I hope we're, I hope we're, we're doing our thing again soon and, and out there snowboarding, but I think it's going to be a little bit different this winter. Maybe it's more about staying at home and really exploring my chain of, of mountains where I live in California, really exploring the Sierra Nevada and, and just spending some time to 
hunker down and, and hopefully it's a good winter at home. Uh, Cause it seems like we're going to be traveling maybe a little less. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if anyone sees you out in the slopes, I guess they can look for your snowboard that says uh, go vote on it or something like that. So uh... <laughs> sure. Well, Danny and Steve, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us and sharing this kind of angle on the climate policy discussion. Super interesting to bring in sort of the consumer perspective and the athlete perspective and see how you guys are bringing this into your everyday. So thanks so much for speaking with us. I can't thank you guys enough. The political world is so heavy and right now even heavier, but climate change is important. And these types of discussions, I think, are equally as important as, as um, some of the sort of more Capitol Hill focused ones. So thank you guys for making my day, my week, and making this show better. Yeah, thank you for having us. It was a great conversation. Yeah, thank you all, and hope to meet you uh, somewhere down the road. And uh, Steve, a lot of respect for what you guys are doing over there at New Belgium. Uh, thank you for that. A lot of respect for what you're doing, and I, I can't uh, wait to get back to your Alpine Valley event. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, didn't, I didn't know that was such a big thing, but I grew up skiing there as well. Uh, oh. I, grew up, I grew up not that far from so um, I'll be there for your event next time. Awesome. Awesome. I'll hold you to it. Sports, beer, and climate policy. Who knew they had so much in common? Thanks so much for listening. And again, please take a moment to review Political Climate on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you like to listen. You can also find us on Twitter at poly underscore climate, P-O-L-I underscore climate, or on Instagram by the same handle, We'll be back next week as always. Thanks again for listening and until soon.